I'm Scott Boren. I'm uh, the Connecting Community Pastor here at Woodland Hills. And I'm going to be bringing the word uh, this morning to you and sharing God's word with you. Uh, Greg this morning is preaching at Jen Kim's church across town. Uh, he, Jen Kim preached here a few weeks ago, and Greg is returning the favor uh, to, to bless them. Uh, we, we just returned from Texas from uh, our Christmas trip down south to see uh, our parents. And uh, we didn't, sadly, we did not bring the warm weather with us. Whew. Wow. Uh, but I do have good news this morning uh, that even though the weather is, is challenging, we do have good news on a different front. Uh, on, over the last few weeks, uh, Greg has been sharing with us about some of the financial questions that we've had as a church, uh, and we've tightened our belt as much as we can, and the questions about what ministries are we doing and doing them to the best that we can, and where might we have to uh, draw some new boundaries around our budget so that we can continue doing what God's called us to do. Uh, but we got creative. Uh, for a couple of weeks in December, we asked our podrishners, our podrishners are people around the world who listen to our sermons and use some of our materials, and we asked them to contribute uh, to the church and do a, a fundraising uh, campaign with them. And uh, some, peop uh, some families in our church said, we'll match whatever is given uh, by the podrishners. And over the last couple of weeks, or in December, we were able to raise over $100,000. So, thank you to all of our online podrishners who listen and, and uh, celebrate with us God's word. And we just want to uh, thank you uh, also to the others that have supported us and during this time and support, support the ministries here. Uh, I want to pray now before we enter into what God has to say to us. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, your presence here with us, that we can be in your presence and, and just fellowship with you and receive your love. I pray this morning that you would allow us to know your love in a new way, in a, a way that would bring us to a place of freedom and a place of release to be ourselves in you, the way you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I must admit that I love Christmas. And I know that the spiritual thing to say now is that I, I love to give more than I like to receive. But I must be honest, I like to get gifts. And one of the gifts I got this, this Christmas was from Shauna, and it was a gift, a book by Andre Agassi called Open, his autobiography. And what intrigued me about this book is his, his, his repeated confession that he actually hates tennis, loathes tennis, cannot stand the sight of tennis. I'm like, oh my goodness, this guy has been the number one tennis player in the world on and off for 20 years, and he's won all the Grand Slams, he's won a gold medal at the Olympics. This guy is incredible. I got to read this book. So uh, I, as I read, read this, I was like, what's going on with this guy? And uh, two things stood out to me. One is this inner drive and this compulsion to do something that he did not want to do, to be the kind of person he did not want to be. He just was driven to it. And it was like it's something that was out of his control. The second thing that stood out to me was this voice of an authority figure, his father, who 
was demeaning. This voice was controlling. It was even abusive, forcing him to play tennis. At the age of six, he was playing competitive tennis. I think of our oldest son, who is six, playing competitive anything. I'm hoping he can compete to get his clothes on in the morning. <laughs> you know, I mean, he had a tennis ball put in his, in, in his bassinet as a baby. That was, was, his, was his toy. Uh, he was played Jim Brown, the f- uh, retired football player, when, at the age of nine and beat him at tennis. And Jim Brown was a proficient tennis player. He was, his father drove him and drove him and drove him not to just play tennis, but he said, you're destined to become the number one tennis player in the world. That is your destiny, whether you like it or not. And he would confess to people, I hate tennis, and they'd say, no, you don't. I'm like, yeah, I actually do. No, you don't. You're too good to really hate it. You just, maybe, you lost today, so that's the reason you hate it. He was conjoled, he was manipulated, he was forced to do something he didn't want to do. And as I've thought about his story, I find that a lot of us I've talked to and, and some of the people I've related to have been conjoled, we've been forced, we've been manipulated and controlled and even abused by authority figures in our lives to do things and to be the kind of people we don't necessarily want to be. To, to perform in such a way that we have to live up to other people's expectations. And a lot of times we just go along with the flow because it's just easier not to buck the system. It's just easier to live up to people's, these authorities' expectations and go along with what they expect of us because to do otherwise would be just too difficult. Jesus saw such issues going on in the first century, too. He saw authority figures who were getting their way, throwing their weight around, manipulating people, even abusing people into performance, into fitting into a certain role, into living up to a certain set of expectations. And he was challenging that system. And in this scripture we have today in Luke 20, he challenges this system, these people, and he challenges the people who are following these leaders. And this is what he says. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Now if you turn back a couple of pages in your Bible, you'll see that Jesus is in the temple courts. And it's where he has challenged the authority of the leaders. And they have come back at him and they've challenged his authority. And they're, try- he's, he, they, they're trying to undermine Jesus' leadership. And they're trying to undermine Jesus' message in front of the masses. And here Jesus comes back in front of the masses and says, Listen, these supposed leaders that everyone follows around here are controlling you. They're manipulating you. And sometimes they're even abusing you into living up to their expectations so that that they can fulfill a certain role in their society. In fact, the leadership 
pattern that they had adopted or were practicing had become so commonplace that it was rarely or never even questioned. People just assumed that's what religious leaders do. So what was Jesus specifically challenging here? Four things he identifies here. One is they wore long robes. These teachers of the law, they were experts in interpreting the law, because of their expertise, were given permission to wear special clothing. And this special clothing set them apart from regular people. And because they weren't regular people, that meant they were better than regular people. So they loved to wear long robes that set them apart. Secondly, they loved the special greetings that their position gave them the ability to receive. Their greetings, if you and I, would, if we had seen them in the marketplace, we would have had to greet them with a special title that set them apart as different from everyone else. They loved the seats of honor. They were the right people who were invited to the right parties, who were invited to sit at the right table next to the right people. Most of us would have been excluded from these tables. And they devoured widows. Now, this is an interesting statement. It's not entirely clear what this is specifically referring to, but it is clear uh, about this one uh, big concept. Most scholars agree that the, 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 the leaders at the time were abusing the weakest people in society, widows, in such a way that was most likely taking their money in exchange for a prayer. So they had an inheritance from their husbands that had left, uh, that had died. They would take their money in exchange for a prayer. Now all of this uh, might sound unusual, but and, and you might ask, why are they doing this? These were ways that the leaders were telling the average people, I'm better than you. I know God better than you. I know the law better than you. Therefore, you need to listen to me and live the way I tell you to live. Jesus is challenging this. He's saying to the audience, the masses, don't put up with it. Beware, he tells them. Beware, beware. Become attentive. See what's going on. Do not ignore this. Do not just put up with it. Beware of these leaders. They will entrap you. And once you're entrapped, it's hard to get out. And he's telling the disciples who are around him, beware of this because you're not to lead this way. This is not what I came for. This is not how the, the kingdom is to be established. The kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is not to be built upon manipulation, control, and abuse, forcing people to do stuff that they don't necessarily feel compelled to do and, at, through their own relationship with God. I wish I could stand before you today and say, this is a good historical sermon where we can analyze what happened in the first century and think about what Jesus was confronted with and what he, these leaders of the time were doing and we could dissect that and do all kinds of historical analysis. 
But the reality is, this kind of control, manipulation, and abuse is more prevalent today than we'd like to admit. There are authority figures in our lives that push their weight around to get us to do things that we don't necessarily understand, we don't necessarily feel right about. There are leaders in our lives that are uh, compelling us to live certain ways that don't fit the way God has made us. And we struggle to understand what it means to do this. I, I have struggled with this. And there have been leaders and, and even religious leaders and church leaders who have introduced thoughts or told me to do certain things. And I'm like, I don't feel that that's right. But I wanted to be a submissive follower. I wanted to be obedient. I wanted to not be prideful. So I would line up and do some things that I was like, is that, is that, is that right? And I wouldn't question it. Because that would have been seen as non-submissive or rebellious. And later on I realized, wow, that was actually something I should have been listening to my heart about. And talking to some people about. Because I needed to beware of what was going on in, around me and in my life. This exists today in ways that entrap us. And, and when it entraps us, it's hard to get out. That's the nature of a trap. And we begin, these words from leaders begin to cycle in our heads and we begin to think, well, they're right and I'm wrong. They have special access to God that I don't have. Because of who they are or what they do or their title or their position, they have the right to enter into God to hear from me in a way that I can't hear, for God, hear from God. This is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. We have to beware of this trap or else we will be controlled by it. And these words will roll around in our heads and control us in ways that we don't want to see and admit to. Now, sometimes this control is very overt. It can be abusive and, and harmful to you. I have some friends in Texas who were a part of a church previous to ours where they were disciplined by their pastor in such a way that demanded that they go clean his house, including toilets. That was their discipline. And it was abusive, yes. And it messed up their understanding of God. It messed up their understanding of church leadership. It, it caused them to be fearful of of relationships in the church that is an overt harsh controlling thing it's abusive and most of us will look at it and go I wouldn't put up with that that's ridiculous but most of the time the way control happens in the church is subtle the way leaders throw their weight around is much less overt it's covert it's under it's in around the backside the back door. And I'm going to use Jesus' four categories that he identified in the, for the first century and see how they might apply to us. The first, Jesus identified and said that the, the leaders of the first century liked to walk around in religious clothes. They loved it. I grew up in the church, and one of the first things that I learned about church 
is that pastors and leaders wear special clothes. Usually in my tradition, it was a shirt, button-down shirt, a tie, and a coat. And in most churches, that's the case, except for here. <laughs> that pastors dress a certain way. Now, others of you grew up in other traditions where they wore collars or they wore funny hats. But it was communicating subtly that there are certain people who dress a certain way. And if you're in leadership at this church, you're going to dress a certain way. And it communicates to a lot of people and it communicated to me. Now, I don't think that necessarily what these pastors and my leaders meant, but it was a subtle communication to me that if I really wanted to hear God, I would dress a certain way. And, it, and those that did dress a certain way, that wore a certain set of clothes, they had special access to God that if I wore normal clothes, I, that I didn't have. It's, very, it's a very subtle way of communicating. That there are two classes of people, those who have religious clothes and those who don't. And as a result, we communicate that there are those who are more important to God's kingdom than others and have special access to God. Jesus also confronted the leaders of the first century about the titles that they used. And we do this today too. We, we talk about titles like, you ever heard this one? He's the man of God. Of course, you can't say man of God unless you say man of God. You've got to stretch out God a little bit. And my question is, what about the women? Yeah, I've never heard this, but there's a woman of God. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same way, I guess. I'm like, well, what about the, the people who don't have the attention? And usually always man of God is specifically related to someone who has a speaker's role in the church. Well, what about the people who are doing the Mother Teresa kind of ministries in the church? Was she a woman of God? What about the people in our church who are doing tons of behind-the-scenes things that are never recognized? Are they men and women of God? Now, that doesn't mean the speaker isn't a man of God or a woman of God. But do we need to say, it almost sets that person up on a pedestal. It sets things up on a pedestal like, that person is special, and because I don't have those gifts, I'm not that special. Another one that has been thrown around in the church is uh, touch not the Lord's anointed. As if I have a question, and if I go to Greg and say, Greg, I have a question about something you preached. I don't know if I agree with you on that. Some people would say, you're, you're messing with God's anointed. I'm like, wow. Or if you disagree, it's like, well, can we have a conversation? No, because pastor said so pastor deemed it so and that's what's going to happen i've seen lots of churches from all kinds of traditions from baptist to charismatic to others who've been where harm has been done because pastor said this is what i want and i don't care what you want now of course they didn't say it quite overtly like that but that's what was meant we throw pastors have thrown their weight around to get their way and to justify their, the, the ends, taking whatever means possible to get there. 
I, I was at a, a, a series of meetings, uh, church meetings, uh, over a week's time, and the speaker, the guest speaker, spent 30 minutes in one of the meetings explaining and justifying why he should be called an apostle. Using all kinds of scriptures and of what an apostle was and why he was one. And I thought, you know what? If you actually are one, why do you need to tell us about it? It's what I was thinking. I didn't have the guts to say it at the time. Because I didn't want to be seen as unsubmissive. And I thought, well, if I challenge that man who's obviously supposedly worker, a worker of miracles and does miraculous things, then maybe I'll miss out on something. Well, I should have actually challenged him and had some conversations with him. These leaders of often in the first century, Jesus was also confronting leaders who look for seats of honor. And today this happens too. And sadly, I must admit that I've kind of participated in some of this. I, I preached, uh, for example, I preached in a church in a, 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 an unnamed state. I won't name it. Uh, it was a large church. And the, an elder drove me around. He would not allow me to open my own car door. And I got my own, I got to walk through the, the pastor's private door into the church building. He didn't, he didn't just have a, a door, his own, his own private door. Special pastor's parking, walk right in. Would have been a good thing today probably. But, uh. <laughs> and I got to walk into this big room, which was the pastor's prep room. And then about halfway through the, the, the singing, I got to walk out with the other leaders of the church and sit in the special chair for the speaker. And then I had my own bodyguard. I'm like, my goodness, who in the world would want to do any harm to me? It was, it was, it was absurd to me. It was a subtle communication. I don't think it's what these people intended. I think their hearts were good. I think they wanted to honor their pastor and, and honor the leadership of the church. But it was a subtle communication that the, there were a certain set of people who could hear God in a special way while the rest of us couldn't and i must admit that it kind of felt good i got treated special and we all like to be treated special and i think that mentality sometimes gets warped and and jesus is confronting the warped mentality of not just respect when respect turns into love for respect and we love the honor and we love the special words that are given to us as leaders. And then Jesus confronts this mentality of devouring the, the weakest of society. Manipulating those who don't know better. The people in the first century that the leaders, religious leaders were supposed to take care of were the widows. The widows were the ones in the first century that the Old Testament said... Jewish leaders take care of them more than anybody else. And they were manipulating them. And I guess today, in some ways, we could sum this confrontation of Jesus up with three words. Money, money, money. And so many times, people have been taken advantage of and, and been challenged and manipulated to give money in ways that shouldn't have been given. 
people giving their life savings for a prayer cloth. As if a cloth prayed for by someone is more special than your prayers. And we have to pay for it? I mean, there are stories all over the place about such things. And that's extreme. But there are other things that I've heard of people going to meetings and hearing speakers and having long speeches about giving and having faith and giving more than what people could afford and realizing, okay, I got manipulated there. I wasn't giving out of a, a grateful, gracious heart. I was giving out of guilt and manipulation. I remember going to a a concert in college and it was a free concert it was touted as free ah great this will be awesome we never get in college you're always looking for something free and then we got a 20-minute sermon as to why we should pay for this and i got manipulated i should have just walked out of the room and i gave 20 bucks i wish i could call up this the, the concert artist now and say give me my 20 bucks back and that might sound minor but it's these little things where we get manipulated that add up onto one another that become big. And we begin to distrust leadership. We begin, begin to see God as manipulative sometimes. Because the leaders in our lives, are, we're following them. And, and followership is good. We need to learn to follow well. Because followers, uh, we, we all follow someone. And leaders are shaping our imagination about that. And controlling leaders are always going to be around. And if we're going to be good followers, we need to, we need to discover that in order to be a good follower, I cannot change and I cannot change my life by complaining about controlling leaders. They're just going to be here. I can't avoid that. I can't change them. And any dissecting of them and complaining about them will not change that reality. We need to be aware of these controlling leaders. But in order for us to change, we need to look at a different alternative, not just complain about the leaders that, are, that have controlled us. We need to become aware of Jesus' alternative. Controlling leaders, these controlling leaders of the first century and controlling leaders today attach people to themselves jesus calls kingdom leaders to attach people to jesus jesus is the center of the church jesus is the center of the ministry not any leader including greg boyd if you're here for greg boyd's sake you're missing out on jesus greg boyd is good but jesus is better and every leader in this church whether you're a small group leader you're working in a kids station whether you're working with youth, whatever it is, you're, however you're ministering, our job is to point people to Jesus, not attach people to ourselves. Because I don't have anything to give you except Jesus. And besides that, you don't want what I have to give you. You, because Jesus is the answer, not me. No leader in this church or in any church can transform you the way Jesus can transform you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one mediator. There is no man, no woman who can lead you into the courts of heaven like Jesus can. And you and I have the right to go there. We don't have to sit back and say, oh, pastor, will you fix me? Will you tell me what to do? Get on your knees and find Jesus because he's ready to meet with you. He's ready to meet with you right now. 
And no man, no woman, not any authority figure can, can give you what Jesus can. Jesus is the answer, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who can bring a freedom to your life. He can release you to be who he created you to be. I don't know how you're made. I don't know what your passions are. I don't know what your gifts are, but Jesus does. He's the giver of gifts. He's the giver of life. And he wants to come and release you to be what God has called you to be. That is a unique thing. And when you're hurting, when you're trying to search things out, so many times we we grab other people and say, fix me, give me an answer, or we call up a pastor and do this for me. And that's important. We need people speaking into our lives. But sometimes when we're hurting, we unduly depend upon people. And we put our dependence upon the words of others and, and expect them to fix us or to shape us or to speak into our lives. I've done this many times where I've seen leaders and I've looked for a leader to be the answer for me. And if I could only attach myself and do what they expected or what they wanted for my life, then somehow I would find the right groove. And I didn't realize that this was a pattern in my life. And it was very subtle. And I don't know that the leaders around me knew that I was doing this with them, but I was always trying to attach myself to the right leader so that I could become somebody. I never realized that Jesus was saying, you already are somebody. Because of me, not because of any leader. I made you, Jesus says. I created you and I shaped you and now I want to release you to be free to be who you are. Now this isn't some kind of excuse to have an American kind of freedom where... I live by myself, I do what I want, and live however I want to. No, this is a freedom to be, live in, in relationships and love people and self-sacrifice and serve others and, with a, a pure heart. And to release, it will release you into a joy unknowable. It says in Ephesians 2.18, For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Jesus released the Spirit of God upon us so that we can have access to the Father. There is no man, no woman who can do that. Now, there are various gifts in the church. There are some gifts that are verbal, some gifts that get more attention than others. But that does not mean that there are certain people who have more access to God than others. We have to become aware of this different way, this alternative way, so that we can be good followers and good leaders. We have to become aware of this way so that we can release the control and move beyond the control that can shape our lives. Because if if we don't have something as an alternative way and all we have is just looking at the negative, we'll never be free from the negative. We need a way to see this other way and a way to be released to move into it. I know that a lot of people in this church, uh, because they've shared stories with various leaders here, about abuse and control from other churches sometimes overt and sometimes very subtle you might be one of those persons or you might know someone that is like that and if you do i pray that you would pray for them and 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 share a different way with them because it can mess with their minds and their understanding of who god is but i think for those of you who have uh been under a sense of control maybe from previous churches or 
in your history of following God or maybe just controlling parents or other things. Understand, uh, uh, I want to present in closing here a, a way out of that. The first thing that I want to present to you is the challenge not to deny the control. Resist the temptation to deny this. Because you might think, well, I'm no longer under that person's control. I'm no longer under that leader or that authority figure. I don't live at home. I don't live, I'm not going to that church anymore. But those words can stick with you. Just because you're not under their control any longer, they can stick with you beyond that. They stick with you through voices in your head. And they mess with your view of God. It will cause you to see God in an authoritarian way that is not how God is. And it will cause you to distrust leadership that God has set in the church and that God has established for us to follow. So resist the temptation to deny the control that you've fell under. Then begin to share your story. Share the struggle that you've been in. Share the hurt. The way to get free is to find some friends and say, okay, don't let me be a victim here. Tell Because there's going to be a temptation to be a victim. Say, oh, I got hurt. This person did this. That's not what sharing your story is. Sharing your story is simply saying, hey, this is what happened. I don't like it. I'm hurting. I need a way out. Will you walk with me in this? And some of us need counseling. I've had to sit with a counselor about some of the things that I've been through and, and process these things. There's some good books on this. Uh, there's a book called The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse by Dave Johnson. It is, is a great resource on this. Then this, as you start to share your story, you'll start to unpack how your view of God maybe is messed up and the kind of love that you need to receive. Receive Jesus' love. Reconnect with Jesus in, in a way that will see that you can release those leaders. Yes, I mean release them. When Jesus reveals his love to us, he gives us the power and the authority to forgive and release people who've hurt us. As I've done this with some people in my life that have, I felt controlled by, I realized that they were controlling out of a sense of hurt. Hurting people hurt. And as I have forgiven them and released them, I've begun to be able to pray for them. Now, I don't need to go back and talk to them and tell them how they hurt me and what they did to me. I was just simply able to say, you know what? I'm going to let this go. Lay this at the feet of Jesus and be free and work it out. Now, I work this out in community. I pray with others about it and wrestled with the hard things around these issues. But it is possible to be free and move into a different way. I'd like for you to close your eyes and listen to this verse as I read it. It's Galatians 5.1 from a paraphrase. It says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery upon you.
The Spirit of God is upon us so that we might take a stand in Him. So that we might be free to be who He's made us to be. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and, and, and begin to release this in this congregation. That people might be free from uh, voices that are controlling them so that they might be free to be who you made them to be. Help them, become, help them to become aware of something new that you're doing and release them into your calling, into your future, into your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. We have prayer counselors here at the front if you'd like to share with them. If you would like to meet Jesus for the first time, these, these prayer warriors would, would love to just chat with you and, and share Jesus with you. In Jesus' name, amen.